Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Dentists Who Invest official podcast we're on podcast number six as it happens now and i thought i wanted to do something a little bit different today something a little bit more romanticized interesting because we've been very very well we stuck to the theme of finance but we're digressing a little bit we're branching out we're seeing what else can we invest in or maybe think about to diversify our portfolio as dentists on that note I've got somebody on here today who knows a lot about the subject of this podcast the subject of art that is she is a specialist orthodontist. She lives down in London. She is somebody who has been previously very well. She, she works for the Tate. Am I right in saying that? Uh, affiliated, I don't like the, affiliated. I'm affiliated. Is that a better um, Maybe I wouldn't say affiliated. I'm definitely a member of the Tate, but oh, I, um, I work. I work through another gallery that um, helps me collect my art and things like that. I see. Well, regardless, yeah. she knows a lot about the subject of art. I'm hoping today that she can elevate our collective consciousness because I am a self-admitted complete oaf when it comes to these sort of things. She's a culture vulture. She's an orthodontist. Mm-hmm. She's got loads to say on the subject of art. Her name is Anika Patel. How are you today? I'm great, actually. It's my favorite topic. Love a, love a oh, bit of brilliant. chat about well, this. As I say, I'm hoping that you can enlighten us, our, our collective consciousness, because I will admit that it is something that I do not know the first thing about. So I'm sure there's lots to be learned on here today. There'll be people out here listening who are curious, who know a little bit more than me. We're going to try to pander and cater to everybody today. I think it's going to be great fun. I just wanted to talk a little bit about yourself, Anika, first, if it's all right with you. So you're a dentist, as we've already described or misdescribed affiliated with the Tate, not quite, something along those lines. Perhaps you'd like to go into a little bit more detail and just tell me about your journey into being a dentist and your journey into art, if that's okay. Right. So obviously when we're choosing what career we go into, a lot of us sort of, you know, do a bit of work experience, get into dentistry, job done, pass out the other side. I actually, my biggest aspirate, I just really wanted to do history of art at Goldsmiths. Um, so did my UCAS to do history of art at Goldsmiths and ended up being a dentist on the other side. Um, so you can imagine how many friends I made when I ended up at uni, like not many. Uh, you know, most uh, dentists use the left side of their brains. Everyone's very academic, yeah. you know, very maths, science orientated. You know, it's very tricky when you're right sided um, predominantly because you're, you're creative. You, you know, there are loads of blurred lines. You're not thinking as rigidly as everybody else. You say what you want. You You, you flow in a different way. Um, and, you, you know, you might have different interests. So um, I remember being at uni, there's only about three of us that actually liked art and that sort of that side of culture. Um, so, yeah, no, that's how I basically just carried on with art. So I basically kept the interest going through dental school. Um, didn't obviously do the history of art degree. Um, really sort of shot myself for that because I really wish you know I had done that a little bit but now obviously I'm in a very secure career I'd say um and there's no harm in now going back and doing what you know my true love was really 
Yeah, I see. Brilliant. So you've always had this long-term, I suppose, passion for it, and that's developed or evolved through time. Was there like an early moment in your life that sort of instigated this interest in art, or was it always just a deep-set passion? Do you remember seeing a piece a piece of art and thinking to yourself, wow, that's so interesting. And it completely ignited your passion from that point forwards. Or was it just always something, there's no precise specific memory. It's just always something that's been an interest of yours. So my earliest memory would be when I was a teenager, I went to the Tate, our key word for today, um, Tate Britain. And I saw a John Singer Sargent painting called Gast. And it is one of the biggest pieces I've ever seen in my life. So when you're at school or you're learning or you're doing your A-levels and you know today level art got into dental school with my A in art you know it's been pretty focused you're just looking at books all the time and everything's sort of 10 centimeters by five centimeters you don't see the depth or the scope or the symbolism of a piece until you actually see it in real life you know it's the same for a Jackson Pollock you see it in real life and it's like bloody hell what's that like you know you just see it in a book and it's just a bit of splatter paint so when you see sort of the vastness of something in real life, it's a completely different story. And Gast is, you know, it's based on World War One. It's based on, you know, all of the soldiers out there, you know, leading each other one by one. And it's enormous. It is absolutely shocking to see. I see. It's not yeah. actually a piece I'm familiar with, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not famous. That's completely, <laughs> by my own admission, that might be my lack of knowledge on the subject. Is that quite a famous piece then? Um, I think it would be famous to sort of, it's not contemporary, it's not modern, you know, a lot of us nowadays, or, you know, we know all the modern stuff, don't we? We're very focused on sort of the Andy Warhols and, you know, things from sort of, you know, Banksy's late 20th century, that sort of thing, you know. Johnson Sargent's a famous artist, he's famous enough to be seen in the Tate, and that's one of the the merits, and that's one of the things you need to look for when you're thinking about what to collect in. Yeah, he might well be. I might have just embarrassed myself there to a lot of more pe- people listening who are more okay with art. But never mind, moving swiftly on. And I wanted to know on top of that as well, how would you describe yourself as an artist then or as an art collector? Is there some specific theme that ni- unites your collection? What's your area of expertise? Is it paintings, watercolouring, sculptures? So in terms of collecting, um, I'm into 80s graffiti art bizarre um contemporary um modern art that sort of thing um if I had to describe myself I would say I was quite determined um if I see a piece or I know a piece or I know that something or I know that an artist could potentially you know do well um then I stay focused I search a lot of auction results and I sort of monitor that artist and then I'll go to a broker because you always need a broker in this kind of industry in order to sort of source things uh, for you um so i usually have an artist in mind go to my broker say look i want a piece by this ideally i want to unsigned sign whatever you want to do um so i'm pretty determined in what i want in you know in terms of pieces um you need to be very decisive as well with art it's not one of those things that you sit on the fence i guess it's a bit like you know when you you've discussed trading and things in the past it's one of those situations that if you don't think and know what you want on that second and it's you know a prime piece it will will be gone in an hour i see interesting and really spell that out for some people listening who may not be as well have such a knowledge of the art industry you know people who are new to it or really have no background in it whatsoever when you say that it's necessary to have a broker why is that the case? Is it generally difficult to go to the artist themselves and say, hey, I like your piece. Let's cut out the middleman. I'm going to pay you. 
you know, this figure, and that's a negotiation between two parties. Why is a broker so commonly utilised? So what it is, is as dentists, we're a bit stuck because we're stuck in clinic with our gloves on. With these things, you need to be monitoring auction results quite regularly. Um, There's something called Artnet, which you have to pay a subscription to if you... You know, if you've got £400 lying around that you just say, do you know what, I'm going to be a member of Artnet, I'll do all the research myself. You know, that's one way you can go. But you've got to remember with art, it's literally a supply and demand chain. That's exactly what, you know, art collecting is. Um, So it's a little bit different to sort of financial markets because, um, you know, the volatility is different. You know, in the financial market, you've got your volatility, whereas in art, it is supply and demand. So, you know, there'll be lots of things in terms of the type of art that you might want, there's different types. You may say, I want a blue chip or I want a solid piece. In that instance, a solid piece is usually from someone who's dead and dying. Um, you're not going to be able to approach them um, <laughs> if they've gone, basically, um, right. in order to you know, get your valuation. So it might be sourcing from someone in the States or Hong Kong or something like that. Oh, I understand. Um, okay. But if you, know, you go the way you're saying in terms of an emerging artist, of course, you can approach an emerging artist. Um, you know, you don't know what they would sell it for you, and you would have to research the values and things like that. Um, but of course, you could, you know, go to an emerging artist, but that would be a long term hold. You would have to sit on that for probably 10 to 15 years because, really, for emerging artists, they might be cheaper, but it's only one in 20 that actually really make it. I understand. So, yeah. I understand. So, so yeah. it's basically a question of how much knowledge you have on the industry. And by and large, for all practical purposes, a broker is the way to go for most of us by the sounds of it. Yeah, that's completely correct. Um, the other thing is, I guess with trading, you guys, you, you, you put it into sort of high, medium and low risk, don't you? Um, and if you, yeah. yeah, so, and it depends on how you see yourself as a person and what risk you want to take. You know, if you have a lump sum of money and you say, well, do you know what? I want to go for blue chip, high value. I know that this is guaranteed to stay the same or, you know, increase. Um, You know, you know that you'd flip it in the next two to five years if you wanted to go more. You know, it's... That's a really good parallel to draw, actually, because I understand that a lot more. So the bigger established pieces, they're a lot less volatile, potentially, but they're a lot more likely to make money over a period of time. I totally understand. Fair enough. Good stuff. Thanks for that, Annika. I wanted to ask as well, just while we're discussing investments, why do you think art makes a good investment and where do you see it as part of a broader portfolio? Feel free to answer those two questions separately because I've just chucked a fair bit at you there. There might be a lot you want to flesh out. Let's just focus on why you think art makes a good investment in the first place. So um, as long as you have a good piece and a good broker that is there to help you sort of make a good earning um art's very blurred you know the bigger drug addict you are the bigger you know story you have behind you the bigger the depth the more you know that adds to you as an artist and you know that means again the demand is higher so therefore the supply is higher so the auction results are higher and therefore you're more likely to you know buy a piece and sell it on um you know you go to the financial sector everything's sort of a red line and it's very rigid and you know, you can't get away with being a drug addict or any of the above, you know, it's very, very rigid. And, you know, things are literally affected by sort of political statements, volatility, you know, even gold is, you know, connected to the dollar, whereas with art, it's a completely different sort of trade, essentially. Um, And, you know, it basically means that you can choose the pieces that you want. And there's a range of different types of pieces you can choose in terms of prices or 
as I said, types of emerging to blue anchors, you know, blue chip, that kind of thing. Interesting stuff. And do you have a play? Where do you see it fitting in broadly as part of a more general investment portfolio? Do you buy other things or is this just something that you solely focus your whole attention on? I think it's really important to have a balanced portfolio, if I'm being honest. You know, things, um, they fluctuate so much, you know, you know, I'm obviously not um, an expert in property or anything like that. But, you know, you see property changing, you see, uh, you know, liquid assets changing constantly. Um, again, there's a volatility, na- there's, you know, the nature of that is very volatile. Um, so I have art as my main source of trade. However, it doesn't mean that, you know, I don't have a have property. It doesn't mean that, you know, I don't invest yeah. in potentially smaller things. Um, I think it's important as dentists that, you know, we have some sort of pension, so a SIP or something like that to invest in. You know, we should be using ISAs. We should be, you know, not, again, putting all your eggs in one basket unless you're really sure of that, of what you're doing. Mm. So is there a specific percentage of your portfolio that you would allocate to art or is it as rigid and defined as that? Or is it just that you try to just broadly, generally diversify without putting actual figures on it? Um, no, I would say about 90% of my portfolio is art. So, you know, I'd say <laughs> most enough. of it now, you know, forte, though. That's yeah, forte. so that's um, to me, someone who specializes in a particular asset to be more heavily leveraged in that asset is more of a reasonable thing to do. So Annika is 90% in art, but whether or not that means that everybody should be 90% in art, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Maybe it might be best to just start off with a smaller portion and then go from there. If that sounds reasonable to you, Annika. That definitely sounds reasonable. And um, I would sort of suggest actually researching, you know, what's current, what's not. Um, the way I can just sort of explain art in terms of how current it is, um, because, this, as I said, it is completely supply and demand. A bit like how we have social media and we have Instagram and we have things like that, you know, the more, I would say, within dentistry, potentially whoever has more followers maybe gets more patience via Instagram. It's the same with art. Whoever has more followers on their art page or, you know, promotes for Rolls Royce or is on the front of a perfume bottle or anything like that. It's, again, putting yourself out there and the marketing's heavier. So for an emerging artist, say you said, oh, I haven't got 60 grand, for example. I don't want to, you know, go go deep on this. I've got a couple of hundred pounds, a couple of thousand pounds. That I just want to put into somebody that's emerging. But what do I do? Because they could be current today and gone tomorrow, which happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you've just got to be careful for sure that, you know, a gallery is not plummeting all of their marketing into this one person. And a year later, no new there's no new news you know they're still exactly the same as they were the year before and then essentially you haven't increased your value you've stayed the same so you've just got to be mindful of this this is why i love getting people on from varied assets because the dynamics of each single one are so different and the rules that you have to play by are so varied and you can be very au fait with one and very skilled at trading options stocks gold crypto whatever and then get completely caught out in another one because the dynamics of every single one are so unique. And I find that fascinating, actually, to hear you say that. Very, very interesting. With regards to your philosophy on investing in art, am I correct in saying there's maybe two extremes? We've got the first extreme, and that is where you buy as many pieces as you can, and you hope that there's one or two in there that just skyrocket. And if they do... They'll skyrocket to such a degree that you'll more than make your 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 spending back on the others versus the the second extreme, 
which is to buy a very few select pieces, maybe invest a lot more of your capital in those pieces, but from the point of view that you believe you have more of a discerning eye than everybody else, where's your where's your philosophy between those two extremes? Are you one? Are you the other? Are you somewhere in between? No, I'm the second for sure. Um, so right, essentially, yeah. Great. Yeah, so my rules, essentially, when I'm looking for a piece, I sort of say, are they blue chip? So a blue chip is essentially a bit like trades. It's the higher value thing. So in terms of art that you may know, maybe Picasso's, Andy Warhol's, people we actually know, yeah? Um, obviously, they're worth millions, so <laughs> I'm not going down that road, but something blue chip. The other thing you've got to look at is age, okay? So, for example, um, I own a print from uh, uh, Yayoi Kusama. Kusama prints are, you know, a Kusama original is probably a couple of million pounds, right? So you've got to think, okay, fine. But the woman's 94 years old. She's been, for nine decades, she's been pumping out art, okay? So she's very famous, you know, there's exhibitions all the time, um, but she's 94. So I know that she's on her way out, essentially, which is why I've invested now. Um, you might look at somebody who has just died, you know, for example, um, in 2017, I picked up a Richard Hamilton piece just after he died, a few months after he died. Um, and now I'm going to watch the change as he increases or as he changes or as he becomes more well-known, for example. So essentially blue chip, dead or dying, understanding their story. It's not just somebody who's come in, got a paintbrush, stuck it on a canvas, job done. It's what's the story behind everything? Who are they connected to? You know, what's happened? Why are they an influence and more current artists? You know, the famous people like, you know, that we know at the moment, like Banksy, who did, who, who's looking back, who has influenced them and why? And you need to understand that whole story. And are they well-established? You know, what are you working towards? There's a few things you need to look at if you're going down my route. If you're looking at somebody emerging, as I said, you've got to look at things, really small things like, you know, are they on a, an advert on the TV in the background? Are they, you know, promoting for Rolls Royce? Are they on perfume bottles? Have they got trainers released for them? You know, like Bradley Theodore or, you know, there's a few emerging artists that have literally got, you know, Nike or Puma, you know, running after them. So looking at these tiny things or, you know, are they shown in a gallery? So Tate, obviously Tate is our keyword. It's a, you know, it's a very well-established gallery. Are they showing any emerging artists or are they showing any exhibitions or virtual online exhibitions? Because that's what we're doing in COVID times, you know? Um, And once that sort of influence and popularity soars, the demand goes up and the auctions go up. I see. That's, that's a rundown of the criteria that you kind of look for. But being someone who's experienced in the art industry or being someone who's done it for a little while longer, what do you think is a good philosophy for someone who's maybe just thinking of starting out between those two extremes that we discussed there? Maybe somewhere in the middle or maybe somewhere along the lines of playing it safe with the more blue chip ones, as we mentioned earlier? Um, it depends on your cash flow, if I'm being completely honest. A lot of people will say, you know, I've got a family, I've got better ways to spend my money. You know, that's the situation, essentially. When you're talking about blue chip, you know, you're, you know, minimum, you're basically saying, do I have 60, 70,000 pounds lying around in order to put in something else? Exactly. Yeah. So when you say, well, what is my budget? That's where it comes to with anything, essentially, right? So then you... Yeah, you have to say, do I want signed or unsigned and work from there? Um, if you were very low risk or I would say low cash flow, medium risk, then you can look at an emerging artist. Um, but again, as I said, you have to look at an emerging artist that 
potentially is not just come out, but, you know, is a little bit further forward and has kind of, you know, been around a little bit. You've seen the marketing. Um, you know, if only all of us had known in sort of 2008, you could pick up a Banksy print for sort of 500 quid then, you know, and look at him now sort of, you know, yeah. 12 years later, it's very difficult. It is risk and it is you know, a bit of a gamble, to be honest. I see. Interesting, interesting stuff. Do you have a favourite piece of art that you've ever picked up? Yeah, I have. Well, I have a favourite piece. Um, it's a Richard Hamilton original uh, oil on canvas that I picked up. Um, I've got two favourites. I've got one that basically has given me the biggest increase and I've got one that's just got a very deep, dark story behind it. Um, Tell us about so, the deep, dark story first. That sounds intriguing. Yeah, so uh, Richard Hamilton is an artist that you will be hearing a lot about in the next couple of years. He died in 2017, but he's known in the art world as the godfather of art. And he is uh, Banksy's influence. So Banksy uses a lot of Richard Hamilton stuff. And yeah, so in the 80s, he basically used to graffiti shadow heads all over New York and Manhattan. And it was a time where there were a lot of murders. And they, these shadows would act as angels. So if somebody was going to mug you or murder you on the street, they'd see the shadow and they'd think it was a person and they'd, they'd run. So they, they, they were symbolic of angels around New York and Manhattan. So he rose to fame in the 80s. And um, the people that used to look up to him were actually Jean-Michel Basquiat and Keith Haring, who, as we know now, Basquiat is a massive, massive, you know, artist. Everybody wants a Basquiat if they're, you know, billionaires, essentially. You know, his works go for you know, millions and millions of pounds now. Um, so Keith Haring and Basquiat, they died very young, but they used to look up to Richard Hamilton, tag on the back of him, etc. The problem is, as soon as you get famous, you know, you fall into sort of the plummet of drug addiction, heroin, all of that kind of stuff. And that's quite common for artists um, during that era, you know. Um, it, it was one of those things that happened. So it's very famous. And then obviously it went very downhill. Um, a lot of people used to, sort of use him um, in time because he ended up homeless. So they used to say, do you know what? I'll give you some money, you know, for a homeless shelter or a hotel room if you could just paint me a canvas or do this. So wow. people used to use him a lot over time. And there is on Amazon Prime, there is a documentary called The Shadow Man. Um, but essentially he's got a really deep and dark story about where he was, you know, at his highs, at his lows, the use, you know, not be- believing in consumerism and following Andy Warhol, Basquiat and um, Keith Haring down one path and doing his own thing. And it's just typical of knowing, it's being true to yourself and what you believe. And from what he believes, his story is a lot darker than the other guys. Maybe he's not as famous as the other guys, but he was the leader. So it, it's very interesting sort of where he's gone and where he's come to and he's unfortunately passed away now. So. Would you say that because it's an asset that's more romanticised and there's a maybe bit, a little bit more creative flair there that a story like that would drive value off his pieces in a way? Um, a story like that would definitely drive value because, I mean, he's is his connections that he had in the 80s, but also the fact that he's passed away now. They're the only two real factors. You know, right. anybody could sort of, you know, it's like history. It's, it's like The Crown Season 4, how much is true, fact or fiction? You just don't know. Mm. how much it is you know um so I it's a uh, documentary i think that sounds really interesting yeah shadow it's the man. shadow man shadow on man. amazon prime yeah exactly i'm gonna check that out and you mentioned your second favorite piece there so that was the one that cold hard cash it generated you the greatest return so yeah. we don't have to mention figures of course but can you give us an idea of what that piece was and maybe the percentage return that it generated for you 
Yep. So during lockdown, obviously none of us were working. Um, I put a, essentially we'll call it a trade because that's what it is. Um, the art market completely, completely rose to crazy levels during lockdown. It was one of the biggest sectors for turnover. Um, and a lot of people were being, you know, that we, we can call it pronounced hesitation, essentially, on what do you buy, what do you not? But anybody in the art sector was saying, yeah, going to put my money on this. You know, a lot of companies were liquidating. They, they were liquidating their assets, saying they, they need to cash now to sort of stay afloat during lockdown. So last year, there was something in Croydon. There was a furniture shop um, that Banksy put up called the Gross Domestic Product. And at the time, it was up for three weeks. People were sort of looking around. It was in all the papers. You couldn't go in it. And there were certain pieces in that shop that obviously, if you're an art collector, it stay, stay, stays in your, your mind for quite a long time. Um, Banksy then put out a sort of fake marketing type situation where you bid for these certain items in the shop, um, entered, sort of inputted this answer to a question that he'd put on this website, on the GDP website when it went live. And it was basically, what what does art mean to you? It was just a question that Banksy had put up. Um, and obviously the whole world was just sort of input, you know, crashing this website of what to do. Essentially, there's a lot of hype. That's all it's about, you know, creating these false exhibitions and false marketing ploys to essentially increase hype. Um, and there was a piece in there which was actually graffitied in Barbican uh, a few years back, um, which is a sort of merry-go-round uh, with little people. Um, anyway, I got a print of that, a signed print, um, and I managed to get it very reduced, sort of a good good price because, you know, somebody's business was going, going out. Um, and... 2020 has been the biggest increase of Banksy. It's been 50% month on month increase. Um, bought, bought it in June, sold it. Well, haven't sold it, but it's been auctioned at tape for 104% more. Nice. So I went up by 104% in three months, um, which is fab because, you know, we, we know that the Banksy sort of 2020 sort of, you know, figures are very good at the moment so um you know banksy he's got more strings to his bow than just an artist he's a businessman as well he's a businessman for sure he's a businessman who is banksy that's my next question while we're here Uh, well (laughs) or are you at liberty to say no i mean i don't know who banksy is but i do know a lot of people that do know who banksy is and it's quite interesting because uh yeah he's sort of in his sort of mid to late 40s uh, he's in sort of high high-end social circles shall we say um so when he says he doesn't he he's a bit like a Richard Hamilton he doesn't believe in the consumerism and the you know the cost of art he's the first person to give his artwork to his peers in his social circle so it's, it's very interesting how it sort of filters through to us Imagine how much this podcast would blow up if Banksy's identity was revealed on it. But I'm not going to press you for it, Annika. I'm not going to press you for it. I hope you're prepared for a deluge of PMs from people from my group asking who Banksy is. Well, I hope I hope they don't do that too much. I hope they don't do that too much. I don't know who he is. We're romanticising about who he is. I mean, we couldn't... I've, you know, I've, actually, I've actually read his Wikipedia article. And on okay. the Wikipedia article, it says that there's a... I can't remember the name of the guy. But it says that there is a strong suspicion and a lot of evidence to point to this one particular individual who hasn't outright denied that he is Banksy. He's not a singer from Pulp, if that's where you're going down. Oh, I can't. I, do you know what? I can't even remember the first detail about it. I just remember that I read on Wikipedia that in certain circles, it's quite well established who he is. I suppose you can only really stay mysterious for too long, really, before people come looking for you. I mean, when you've reached the level of fame that he has, it must be very difficult. 
to be fair, he does go in and out of some of the galleries and he does, you know, there are people that do know who he is um, within the art sector because obviously, you know, they know when he's coming in, coming in, for example. Um, there are a few emerging artists that are friends with him that sort of ride his coattails and so, oh, I'm best, besties with Banksy and yeah, let's just, you know, there are quite a few of those as well. So, you know, a lot of people do know who he is. I'm surprised that it hasn't been revealed publicly then because it's still not common knowledge who the guy is and it sounds like from what you're saying that in certain circles it's it's you know it's not really it's a secret. Accepted. yeah it's not really a secret that's an interesting one that i wonder why i wonder why we've covered art we've covered art in a lot of detail we've covered your journey into art we've covered why you think that it's a good part of an investment portfolio if there's anybody listening to this and they were wondering to themselves wow how do i begin my journey into art how would you advise them to do so Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes That Dentists Make Whenever It Comes to Their Finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistinvest.com forward slash podcast report. Or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. I would say, you know, find yourself a broker that, you know, that you could, it's quite hard to just find one, but um, I've had about three different brokers and you've got to choose someone that, you will end up trusting because the problem is somebody can say, buy this piece. It's a great piece, but with art, it's subjective. You know, the valuation could change and you don't know whether everybody's making money out of everything. So you've just got to be mindful. So I would say do a lot of research, go on something called Artnet, look at past auction results, and then, um, you know, contact PM James or me or whoever to say, do you think this is, do you think, this is the right thing to do, you know, is this, do you know this person, you know, would they potentially steer me in the right direction? Um, because you just don't want somebody who's just going to sell you something and it's never going to go up in value and they've just sort of, sort of pocketed the commission. You need to be very, very careful of that. So you need to find a trustworthy broker and that's the best first step. Yes, for sure. Brilliant, fair enough. And I understand that you as well help people in that process. Is that correct, Annika? Um, I've had a few people ask me in terms of, you know, where can I source things? Where can I look for things? But to be honest, um, within the sector we're in, you have to be decisive with that. And a lot of people are sort of a little bit, let me get a bit of information, but nobody really goes, you know, full on and say, no, nope, I'm going to put my money into this. It goes back into stocks and shares, essentially. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. People do want to know, but they just don't understand enough. So I would say get get a professional, get a professional broker. Bit of a learning curve then by the sounds yeah. of it. And we've heard your sort of case for getting a broker as well. If there was someone out there who wanted to educate themselves, maybe just generally on art, to know what to look for, to know what makes a good piece, this, that and the other. You've mentioned art artnet.com, I believe. Yeah, Artnet. Yeah, that's, that's all the, the latest auction results. You, you would believe. Yeah, so you know, I'm quite I'm quite a funny girl in in 
sort of clinic where I sort of have my notes open on one tab and the next tab's all the auction results. So, you know, between patients, you know, I'm sitting there going, oh, I wonder what's going on. Um, I follow Philips quite a lot. So Philips auctions, um, they're quite good. Uh, they're good because I actually sit in on a lot of their auction, well, not loads because they do them every day. But, you know, when I have a bit of time, I sort of sit there and the auction, the way they auction things, I've sort of noticed that they sort of, the ladies call out the number and then they sort of, it's just always increasing because they're saying the number before. So we get, okay, yeah, yeah let's go. Yeah, let's go. You're just like, okay, great. This is fab. So, yeah, yeah, so, so they're like bang, bang, bang. Yeah, exactly. So it's very interesting. You know, look, look on Instagram, look for material, look at archives, look, you know, research stories, research a little bit about artists that you might be interested in. Don't just sort of go for, any anyone essentially because you could just go for somebody who's hyped today but actually their art's not fantastic and would would you have it on your mantelpiece would you have it above your fire always choose art pieces that you love never choose art pieces that just are going to hang in storage basically would you say on occasion there's a bit of a conflict of interest between the brokers and the people who want to invest in art from the point of view that the brokers are just trying to move these pieces along as quick as they can. And they're maybe giving a lot more airtime or hype to individuals who they are not that established and they'll to gone today and gone tomorrow. Is that a prominent thing that happens? Would you say that that's very much rare or would you say that that's fairly commonplace it's fairly common you need to be super headstrong yeah the amount you know i get phone calls daily from different people do you want to auction this do you want to do this um we've seen on the system you've got this piece Will, will you sell you know they just everyone you know everyone needs to work essentially so you've got to be mindful of that but you should never be forced into something you should never be sort of again it's sales, isn't it, really? You know, so a yeah, broker yeah. It works to help you. But again, if they're great at sales, then they could sell you anything if you haven't got a great insight into who that is or what's going on. Um, I'll give you an example. I bought into an emergency. So I, my portfolio is, you know, a bit of blue chip, a bit of sort of um, established artists because there's room to kind of maneuver within there, you know, mm-hmm. people that are still alive and, you know, and a couple of emerging because I'm going to hold hold on to it for, you know, a longer period of time and there was an emerging artist I'm not going to say her name because obviously it's I don't want to criticize her too much but yeah there's so much hype about her she was on every single tube thing every time you tapped in she was all over the place you know this kind of thing so I said to the gallery do you know what you know how much is you know emerging is could be a couple of hundred pounds she was eleven thousand pounds for an emerging wow. artist okay wow. so, that's so I said you know is that well it it could be it could not be because right. this is only we don't know. It's not 20 years later. Right. So I said, you know what? That's fair. Well, fair at the time because I was a bit sold on it. Um, and I guess I was a bit more naive. So I said, definitely, you know, I'll go for one of her pieces. I actually went for two of her pieces, to be fair. Um, and I, the only reason I went for her pieces is because I bought it before it actually entered the catalogue. So the catalogue price would be four or five thousand pounds more, essentially. So I sort of said, I'll get it before it's even there's even a number or a picture taken and let's go from there. Um, but now I'm still holding on to these pieces thinking, when is she going to bring out some more work so I can look at auction results or look at where she's going? And I, I can't see where she's going. But for that that month, she was everywhere, on every billboard, every everything. So, you know, there's a bit of actually was I naive because I was kind of, bought, you know, bought into something on the basis of the gallery and the broker. But actually, if I do wait another 10 years or so, could I have doubled my money? Because that's what they say. They say every five years from emerging artists, you should be doubling your money if depending on what they're bringing out. So. See. 
certain amount of savviness required then. Yeah. From what I gather. Are you able to assist anybody interested in any way in doing that? Can you put them in contact with someone who's a bit more reputable? Yeah, I can definitely do that. Um, I, I definitely have a trustworthy broker that I use that's sort of external from the gallery that I actually buy from. Um, and I'm happy to do that or even guide you to what you know what's current, what's not, give you a bit of extra information if you're interested. Smashing, great stuff. Well, I find that really interesting because certainly I didn't really know the first thing about art. From what Annika has described, I can actually see the parallels between it and other investing a lot more now. Certainly when you were talking about the bigger, more established blue chip pieces and the higher risk involved with less established artists that potentially have more volatility. So to me, it makes complete sense from that point of view. Just like anything or any sort of asset, you really need to know what you're doing before you get into it. And I would hate anybody out there to fall victim to some sort of fraudulent, supposedly up-and-coming artist, plow a lot of money in and you know lose out for whatever reason. I think that that's probably the cliched way you can get caught out in art. And it's probably necessary to have someone to guide you a little bit, just as Annika says. Annika... I think we're going to wrap up now. Is there anything else that you'd like to say on top of what we've already discussed? No, it's been very interesting, really, because, uh, you know, your other podcasts show a lot of, you know, variation in terms of trading. So I'm actually quite excited to sort of flip over to my left brain and see what else is out there. Oh, yeah, I think there's loads of content to get through. Do you know what? At the very start, I thought to myself, James, how long can you flog this horse for? There's only going to be so many assets we can talk about, and then we're going to run out. But then I started thinking, and I was like, actually, no, we can do whiskey, we can do classic cars, we can do watches, we can do whatever. There's all these things. We can even do people collect toys, classic toys from certain eras, and they appreciate in value. There's so many things that we could flesh out. So I'm not... So nervous about that anymore now that I've had some time to ponder it. There really is so much content there. So I don't believe it should be an issue. And like I say, it's we've all heard about stocks. We've all heard about gold. They're the classic things that investors tend to go for. And I think it's just really interesting to hear from these other sides of the coins of things that we wouldn't necessarily initially associate with the word investing. So it's been super interesting. Thank you so much for coming on the show. No, thanks. Thanks to you. It's been a great Sunday. No worries. No worries. Well, thank you so much. As I say, very nice to meet you. This is the first time we've ever met, of course. Hope no, you have no. a smashing day and I'll let you get off now. I'm sure you've got better things to do than be on my podcast. Oh, no. Not at all. <laughs> have a in good a day, sir. In a bit, Bye. Annika. I'll speak soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.